Hello, and welcome to the Brewery FM podcast hosted by Scott Hogue and Dan Usher, just two techies separated by 640 miles as the crow flies, talking cloud, telephones, and technology. I guess I'm your announcer and this is episode 33, recorded on December 10th, 2015. Um, yeah, so rumor has it you bought a Apple TV 4.0. I bought a fourth generation Apple TV, yes, because I am a glutton for punishment and I needed yet another device to uh, rack up points against the WAF. Ah, yes, yes. Um, the WAF being the web application firewall. Uh, no, the wife acceptance factor, but life is full of acronyms, and I, I understand not everyone can learn them all. Mm. Someday, I too shall be like you. <laughs> well, you know, we can all try and get there. It's true. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, the Apple TV came out, uh, you know, the Apple TV 4 with tvOS came out, uh, which is a branch of the iOS software that runs on the lovely iPhones that so many Americans and people around the world carry in their pocket. Sometimes their back pocket if they just want to take their risk. <clears throat> but uh, I think uh, one of the biggest failings probably, uh, I went and bought one, plugged it in. Um, besides their logistics, you know, getting them out, um, I was a little peeved because I had ordered one the first day and it showed up like three or four days after launch. And that seems to be the common case, common scenario for most folks. So if you went and bought one in the store, you had a better chance of getting it on release day than if you bought it through the Apple store online, which was kind of interesting. But anyway, um, biggest fail point in my opinion was the fact that I could not use uh, home sharing through the remote app on my phone to be able to go in and, you know, log in to all my different, uh, applications or, uh, services and subscriptions that I had. And it's just, man, it was a pain in the butt to use a little remote, um, to be able to scroll back and forth. And I think I use Netflix and maybe one or two other things that have a subscription that have like a username and password. And so it took me eh, 15 minutes to get up and running, what was uh, what was your user experience like when you first started? Yeah, cry me a river, buddy. Your Apple TV was woefully misconfigured and and not great. I mean, it was great that it had Netflix on it, but there's apps now, and that means games and TV and more TV and lots of couch potato surfing. Uh, so yeah, you know, I've, I've probably got like thirty or forty apps on there right now. I think there's. 2,500 in the store. So uh, I've got just a couple more to test out and and see what happens along the way. But uh, it's a little bit painful. But hey, as of what, yesterday, remote app works and all that good stuff. So uh, to everybody who goes out and buys one for the holidays, they get to laugh at the rest of us and point their fingers and do the Nelson ha ha and uh, throw in a quick little suckers, you know, just just for spite. Yeah. I love people that are like that. Um, so, I mean, I would never do that, but of course, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> when I, uh, when I saw that there's an updated version of, uh, TVOS and there's an updated version of the remote app, I quickly went and grabbed both of them and sure enough, works like a champ. Um, 
The only thing that does not work yet is the Siri remote feature. Uh, so hopefully that will be something that comes down uh, in 2016. I guess it's rumored that the Siri remote through phone will uh, will be there coming soon. Yep, next year. Uh, so they said early next year, which for Apple means usually April. They consider that early in the year. Hmm. Wow. Did I disappoint you? Uh, I mean, again? maybe that'll come out the same time as those elusive Skylake uh, MacBook Pro <coughs> MacBook Pros. I have no idea what you're talking about. Wait, did they already come out? Probably. Dang it. Now you're going to make me go look at the store. I'm going to have to give real-time follow-up. You're killing me, Scott. Absolutely killing me. It's Christmas. Just buy one for science. Sure. No problem. I'll do that. Um, so speaking of stopping by the store, uh, apparently Microsoft pulled a little stunt, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, where a bunch of their employees, um, and I'm, I'm guessing these are not employees because their voices are just a little too good, uh, paired up with what seems like a children's choir or just random children walking the streets of New York City uh, to go sing Peace on Earth in front of the Fifth Avenue Apple Store. So if you haven't seen that video, it's pretty comical. Um, but, uh, it, you know, publicity stunt. Um, I thought it was cute that they went and wanted to spread good cheer to their uh, their brethren Apple employees. Yeah, I thought it was funnier that their publicity stunt did nothing but show off uh, uh, the icon that is that cube. <laughs> well, on fifth avenue right they weren't they weren't going to be able to do it from their own building down in times square so uh let's go up the street and make it happen there yeah i don't i still think a lot of people don't even realize the time the uh, times square office is there but oh well is what it is um kind of cute nice little gesture from microsoft uh you know they are working a lot closer these days i think than everybody else realizes i think a lot of folks that are uh, hardcore Apple lovers, Microsoft haters, um, don't don't quite realize that Microsoft has changed kind of their messaging and changed what their objectives are. Uh, of course, you wouldn't really be able to tell that by the uh, Microsoft, uh, I guess, what, what are they calling it? The Surface Book? Mm, yes, yes, that, that's the one. That thing that doesn't work because they haven't figured out drivers yet. Well, so we went and played with them in the Microsoft store about a week ago, week and a half ago, and they're they're actually not that bad. Uh, the peculiar thing about them is that uh, to take the screen off of the, I guess, keyboard section, uh, there's actually a little button that you have to go press, which then undocks it through software that's a part of the BIOS. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's so it's nifty. You can't actually undock that screen unless you're powered up. You know, it's kind of like those uh, uh, the Magic Touch trackpads and all that, right? They don't actually click unless they're powered on. So it's this brave new world we've entered. Next thing you know, we're going to be handing back and forth uh, iPads with information like we're on the uh, Star Trek Enterprise. You know, I was talking with somebody at work today about how it's uh, pretty nifty that we live in the future. Yeah, but <clears throat> so uh, I think uh, they were talking about this on ATP a couple weeks ago about how maybe it wasn't ATP. What was it? One of the podcasts that I was listening to. 
uh, <clears throat> was talking about how um, they sort of got it wrong. Uh, I think they were interviewing somebody from the television show Min- <clears throat> Minority Report. So not the movie, but the tech guy behind uh, Minority Report, the television show. And he was talking about how, uh, you know, Star Trek was so close with the iPad form factor and everything, but that instead of being able to have like a network where you stored information and, you know, shared it and read from, uh, you just had like an iPad that you carried around for that topic. So in the case of like Picard, there was an episode where Picard had 30 or 40, uh, you know, these tablet devices sitting on his desk and he was just overwhelmed with work. Whereas now we can have a single iPad and still be overwhelmed as we go to Dropbox and OneDrive and all these other places. Yeah, being a child of the future is tough, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> it's a big struggle. Instead of plowing fields, we're playing Clan of Clans and watching Netflix and catching up on Jessica Jones and doing all that stuff. You mean uh, Clash of Clans or is there a new game out there? Oh, no, no. I meant the one that you invented and were telling me about earlier. The all one right. that's not going to get us sued. Yeah. No, no. Of course, the <clears throat> the Clan of Clans, which just sounds terrible. Uh, I mean, that probably involves something like Thunderdome, where, you know, two clans enter, one clan and leaves. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So, moving on. Um, let's see. What else do we have? Uh, well, while we're talking about Apple... Uh, I don't know if you saw this, probably you're probably scratching your head wondering why you got rid of it, but uh, Apple raised the iTunes match iCloud music library limit from a thou- uh, from 25,000 songs to 100,000. Yeah, this one kind of annoys me. I was waiting for it for about a year. You know, they just kept saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Uh, so I let my subscription lapse exactly seven days before this was announced. So now I'm just waiting for a weekend to turn it back on and let it upload uh, a large music library, something that was larger than 25,000, but less than 100,000. Yeah, I I guess I'm still perplexed about some of the songs that I've got that I have let upload, but they won't let me download from iTunes match, which I, I don't quite get especially when it's part of a compilation or an album. And I'm like, but I bought that album from you and you're not letting me download the song. What the heck? Yeah. Well, you were one of those weird people who turned on Apple music at some point. So you're going to be broken for all time. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm still ticked about that because unless, um, uh, unless I download the song, to like my actual device in a lot of instances when I try and play any of those songs that I have streamed back down from iTunes match, uh, they no longer show up as something that I own. They still have to be validated and verified, which annoys the crap out of me. Wow. It's a brave new world, man. Yeah. You own this music, but you don't. Oh, thanks. Next. You're going to tell me that my office 365 subscription has to be validated every month. (laughs) <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah. among others well you have to have one first so well, that's true it's um, a little bit of the chicken and the egg uh, yeah um so have you downloaded cortana yet 
Uh, I did download Cortana, and then I got really annoyed because I remembered the last time I configured Cortana was when I still lived in Australia. Mm-hmm. So all my addresses in there for like work and home and, and going places are all still tied to that. And I haven't found a power cable for my little mini DV8 that has Windows 10 on it. Mm-hmm. So someday I'll be able to get those addresses updated. But that day is not today because they don't let you do that on the iOS app. So I kind of gave up on it. Huh. That's, uh, that's interesting. I didn't, hmm. okay. I didn't realize yep. you had to have the actual device, uh, like windows device to be able to do that. Uh, well, they only let you edit certain things in certain places. So, well, for like those things, it actually sends you over to Bing maps, but then Bing maps don't show up in Safari. So, you know, I thought it was content blockers. You get rid of those, blah, blah, blah. Either way, I'm a special snowflake, and uh, Cortana does not like me and want me to update my personal information or my preferences on iOS. Therefore, I do not like her. Congratulations. Said Sam, I am. Congratulations. Huh. I'm sure it's nice. She can probably tell you the weather or something. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I thought, so I, I also downloaded it and started playing with it, and... I uh, I noticed a lot of friends posted up like a screenshot of the first screen that you see when you start using Cortana, where it says something to the effect of, you know, say something like, call mom, do such and such, remind me of blah. And I get the feeling most people just took a screenshot and they're like, look, I downloaded it. And that's all they did. Um, because actually using it, uh, when you say, you know, call so say I said, <clears throat> call Scott Hogue, pops up a message that says, would you like to allow um, Cortana to see your addresses? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is just a permissions thing where it needs a permission. Go ahead, click it. <clears throat> so then it took me to what looked like my address book surfaced through Cortana. Yeah, it didn't actually bring up your card to dial. It just was like the address book through Cortana. And I was like, oh, you're kidding me. I have to go back through and uh, say again, call Scott Hogue. Really? Um, So I don't know if it's uh, just me not using it properly or if it's just it being awkward in its initial release. So, yeah, hopefully it'll get better. Cortana, Hmm. I think, I mean, so I know you live in, uh, you know, a, a... Apple world most days. Um, I know a lot of us live in a windows world most days. I'm curious when we're going to start seeing, uh, Cortana being able to help those of us that are living in that windows world, <coughs> windows world during the day, uh, when we're actually using our phones, not while we're at work, um, pull up information that's relevant. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm windows by day now and, um, less and less Mac by night, but Mm. wasn't great. You know, I didn't, I didn't get a lot of that setup experience either. And maybe that's because I already had set it up on a windows 10 box, but I signed in with my Microsoft account and that was it. It was just there kind of like, Hey, ask me a question. No, no, no training, nothing like that. Yeah. That's how mine was as well, but it was just awkward to me that it was, you know, asking for permissions to like hit my contacts and whatnot. So I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe I too, I'm just a special snowflake. We're all special snowflakes. And yet we all melt. Um, <laughs> take that. Um, so other things going on in the world. Uh, 
<clears throat> Last up around apps, um, did you by chance uh, see the notification from our friends at Dropbox? <laughs> yes, I did. They're shutting down Mailbox and uh, Carousel. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're going away. But, uh, you know, it, it was kind of tough to use Mailbox because they never really had a desktop client. They had a permanent beta version client on the Mac, and uh, it was not great. So... Uh, there have been a bunch of other email clients across multiple platforms, whether that's Android or iOS. And uh, we'll just pretend Windows Phone doesn't exist because they never made a client for that because no one uses it. Yeah, I guess I'm. Uh, I guess I'm more annoyed because you know I go in and I. <laughs> I remember back on January 24th, I got an email from uh, Dropbox that said, you know, hi, welcome to Carousel, blah, 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 blah. Uh, this is what we're transitioning to. Um, you should try out Mailbox while you're at it. And I remember I sent like their tech folks an email and just said, uh, what is this? Like, why are you changing? Where Where is this uh, change management and other, uh, you know, help or, you know, just things to push me along the way so that I have a clue that this is coming. And then all of a sudden you get messaging, you know, right out the gate on their blog that just says, yeah, just kidding. We're getting rid of it. So I, I am really curious why they decided to get rid of it. Um, the only thing that I can think of is from like a user experience perspective. Um, <clears throat> unless you ran the carousel app, your photos would not uh, sync back up into Dropbox, which was problematic. Um, whereas most folks probably were hitting Dropbox and not necessarily hitting the carousel app. So maybe they were doing the Facebook thing and, you know, they went out, they experimented with capability, they figured out some good things. And they're just going to reintegrate them back into their main uh, app, maybe. Yeah, no, they released carousel and then they never did anything with it. And it had some really backwards interactions. So. Uh, you know, in iOS, we're typically used to like swiping up to get rid of a photo once we've pulled it up into a view and in carousel, you would always swipe down. So, uh, whatever the opposite thing was, you know, that's the way carousel was set up and ready to go. And, uh, from the email side of things, uh, mailbox was an acquisition for them and they opted to do kind of like an acquire acquisition. I think that was, it was on the order of a good amount of money. It was, uh, right around a hundred million or something like that. I think when they picked them up and, uh, they hired all those folks and a lot of the original team left. And it turns out that, uh, very much like Microsoft is doing in that consumer storage space, right? They came out a couple of weeks ago and said, uh, we're changing consumer OneDrive and we're going to focus on the enterprise. Basically, uh, this is, uh, you know, Dropbox coming back and saying, uh, yeah, there's not much in the consumer game. Like, Email and photos aren't making any money for us. So let's go focus on places that uh, make us money and let us grow the business. So can't fault them for that. True. Can't, can't fault them one bit. <sighs> so other investments that uh, Microsoft's making in good old um, Office 365, you know, they're realizing, hey, we should go and actually invest in OneDrive for business because that's where uh, the the businesses, the money, I guess, um, you know, in the same sense, they've got this, uh, this E5 plan that finally went live. Um, I, I remember when I first saw the E5 stuff, I thought to myself, man, what's that going to cost in terms of, uh, you know, jacking up 
my uh, you know what my my payment is on a monthly basis, and it looks like it's actually not that bad. It's uh, according to Jason Himmelstein's blog, uh, fifteen bucks. So fifteen bucks on top of that E three license that you're already paying for. Um, so if you are interested, um, the E five uh, client or E five SKU, I guess I should call it. Um, contains, you know, PBX um, capability, so actually PSTN capability through uh, the joyous Skype for Business client, um, as well as uh, some other things around uh, collaboration. So if you're familiar with Delve, um, brings this neat thing called uh, Organization Insights, uh, where you're actually able to look into, uh, you know, seeing who's using your, uh, your system and who's making use of it. Uh, at least I believe that is because that's one of the things that they made mention of back at WPC. Um, but if you go out to Microsoft, they've got a ton of information about this, uh, this E5 SKU. Um, one of the most noticeable things to me is it does not include InfoPath, but that's also because there is no InfoPath for 2016. Um, and probably the other capability that uh, may catch the eyes of some other folks, um, meeting broadcast. So Skype for Business has this new thing called broadcast that allows you to have uh, 10,000 people tune in to any of your, uh, I guess, broadcasts that you want to do. So if you were using uh, Skype for Business in the past or Link um, or, I guess, Office Communication Server, uh, you had a limit of the number of folks that could tune in, and I want to say it was in the ballpark of like 250. Um, whereas uh, it's it's 500 right now. So 500? yeah, yeah, they've they, they've got 50 to 500. We're, uh, actually, it's funny going through a lot of this stuff uh, uh, in, in the office right now and kind of evaluating uh, where we can ditch some tools and and make sense of things. So uh, Skype meeting broadcast is actually in the E3s. Uh, and the E5s, it's, you know, it's, it's in the supersets as well. So, uh, you know, flip a switch in your tenant with some PowerShell and, uh, you too can be presenting meetings to up to 10,000 folks, um, with some really interesting capabilities, uh, rebroadcast and kind of automatic recordings and things like that are one of them. Uh, so you don't have to do large ish meetings with them. You could do a meeting with 10 people on Skype broadcast, and still get the ability to have it recorded and saved out and rebroadcast it later. So if you think about um, things like training scenarios, right? Maybe I want to uh, record something for uh, a small group and then uh, be able to play that back later. You know, normally maybe I'd do that in Skype for Business and hit the record button and render it out and throw it over in Camtasia and do some stuff with it and uh, just throw it in Skype Meeting Broadcast and it kind of handles it all for you now, which is nice. Yeah, oh, crazy. I think, uh, wasn't there a capability in Office 2013 that was supposed to do that? Uh, they have some stuff built into PowerPoint <laughs> for yeah, 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 like, yeah, like Office Mix for like uh, yeah. recordings and things like that. Uh, kind of, uh, we want to be Camtasia, but we, we, we don't want to be, uh, so, so, and then there's things like just the screen recorder, right. That's built into windows and records all the JPEGs, uh, and, and, and all that good stuff or 
bitmaps or, or whatever they are. So uh, you've got a bunch of options out there, but the, the Skype meeting broadcasting is uh, really cool. So if anybody's lit up in an E3 or higher, uh, I'm not sure if it's in the E1s, uh, but it's definitely in the E3s. Uh, you go flip a PowerShell switch and uh, then you can just uh, go in there and, and start uh, uh, setting things up and scheduling things out. So if anybody's ever done uh, things like WebEx in the past where you go to the online portal and schedule your meetings, uh, that's how all the Skype broadcast uh, stuff works. It has a dedicated portal. Uh, go in, set your things up, configure your meeting, uh, go ahead and get it spun up ahead of time, make sure your audio is right and everything like that. Uh, and you're, you're off to the races. Um, and then it's just running on the Skype for business backend. So, uh, all the same bandwidth limits and rules and everything else apply. Uh, really the big difference is you're scheduling through a different portal and kind of getting some different capture mechanisms. Uh, but once you turn it on, it's available to every user. Uh, it's a little awkward that they have to go to another URL. Like I can't go into Outlook and schedule a meeting or, uh, some large event and then say this is going to be a broadcast versus a uh, a singular one-off or an ad hoc meeting, those kind of things. Uh, so it is a little bit of a premeditated piece to to get in there and make it happen, but still totally doable. So the one thing I could see this being super useful for would be for organizations that want to get rid of something like uh, WebEx. But Here's Absolutely. The, but I guess my curiosity is, does it also allow you to use that uh, PSTN conferencing? Uh, mm, I don't know. I've only been looking at it for the E3s. Uh, so they, they don't have any of that stuff in there anyway. Uh, I had a couple of the E4s and um, kind of the, the E5s and things like that uh, kicking around in a tenant right now. Uh, but haven't really looked at it from that side to see what happens and what breaks and if it all works and is, is hunky-dory and all that. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm thinking it probably doesn't just based on the fact that they talk about it as uh, hosting meetings on the internet for up to 10,000 people who can attend in a browser on nearly any device. So that would lead me to believe that it's browser-based and you can't necessarily use uh, you know, a phone line to dial into it. But I could be wrong. Uh, well, uh, so, so it offers a, a couple of things. So uh, the client, it can be a browser, mm-hmm. uh, or you can actually come in from your uh, Skype clients as well. So that works on, uh, like if you're a presenter, you can come through on Link for Mac. Uh, interestingly, you can't join from Link for Mac, but hey, whatever, you know, uh, why make that work? Uh, but if you're just coming in on the client side from Windows, you can be a producer, presenter, uh, all those kinds of things and, and get in and, uh, get it all hooked up and ready to go. Huh. Uh, so, so it's, it's kind of a new offering, right? I, th- I think they're, uh, they're, they're building out that capability and, and trying to figure out, uh, what they can do with all of it. But if you think about it in the context of something versus WebEx, right? If you're an office 365 subscriber and you're paying for WebEx today, you already have this capability with your E3s and higher. So why not turn it on and check it out and see what it can do? Uh, you know, there can be some tangible benefits to sitting down and doing something like uh, even outside of like 
eliminating licenses, just being able to say, uh, we can open up this up to the entire organization and all everybody needs is a web browser. So if you think about an enterprise with uh, standard desktops and things like that, as long as they're all in line with the requirements, uh, you've eliminated some tooling along the way, made things easier for everybody. They just click a link and they're in. That's really nice. So here would be my one my one question for you. Uh, looking at kind of the overview, they talk about cloud-based call management, um, uh, PSTN conferencing, and they talk about the price of being you know thirty five dollars a month per user with a commitment. Uh, then if you scroll down, there's an add-on service to add PSTN calling for a complete communications experience. Um, to use an existing phone number or get a new one. And that's an additional $24 per month. Yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of people are missing that maybe. Like they look at the price and they go, oh, $35 a month. That's a $15 increase. And I got all these new capabilities. Hmm. $24 a month for international and domestic calling or $12 a month for domestic calling. Yeah, so so the E5, it gives you the PSTN conferencing, right? So that's nice, and that's there. Uh, it also adds on the uh, cloud-based call management. Mm -hmm. So you, you're on the kind of the, the back-end PBX, and you're all set, and, and that's all great and good. But if you actually want the full calling experience, it is the extra money. So I think that's just rolling because now the E4s are sunset, right? We don't even see them in the portal anymore. Right. Um, so if you had them legacy, yeah. Uh, but even when you had an E4, they had these one-off things to add the PSTN calling. Uh, so, you know, it seems like those SKUs just stuck around and they're coming up the other side. Uh, they're just manifesting the E5s now. Um, but it can be a hefty bill yeah, I mean, <laughs> to, to put it all together. You're looking at uh, $35 to all of a sudden $47 if you just go domestic, uh, upwards to $59 per month per user. So that's, that's still pretty hefty. And I mean, sure, you're going to still probably beat the price point that uh, you see with something like uh, you know WebEx and all these other things. Um, again, again, you're going to have to go do the analysis for yourself and make certain the capabilities make sense for yourself. But if, if the price is, uh, you know, less than that, uh, you know, couldn't, it might not be a bad investment. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's just about general, uh, utilization and, and, you know, are you getting the value out of the things you've bought? So I know, uh, and, and it's not just WebEx, but, uh, you know, a lot of the online conferencing providers and things like that typically, uh, you'll go in as an enterprise or a consumer of those services and you'll pick up, say, um, you know, maybe you're an organization of a thousand folks. So you, you'll buy an outright commitment for a thousand licenses. Uh, but then for something uh, like WebEx, you really don't get to take advantage of it until your users go in there and sign up individually. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's pretty easy to see a place where uh, they bought a thousand licenses, they pay for a thousand licenses. And they really only derive value out of 200 because those are the only folks that have ever gone into the WebEx portal and actually signed up for an account. Doesn't mean the other 800 don't join meetings and things like that, but you really never see that side of it, right? Because it's all random attendees and things like that. Versus if you've bought a thousand E3s, 
uh, you're probably using other things within the suite. You're either using it for mail or SharePoint or uh, Skype or all of those things. Uh, so you've automatically derived value. Usually your saturation's quite a bit higher, right? It's pretty easy to go into something and say, uh, you know, I don't know if you checked out some of the new reports lately, uh, but hopping into something like Skype and saying, what were my active users last month? Uh, how many people are actually signing in? What are they doing? Participating in meetings? Are they on calls? How's, how's all that going? Uh, so I, I'd, I'd be willing to bet if most folks looked at that information, they'd probably find that automatically uh, the saturation's higher because you, you've just given those users those tools and let those things get out there. Yeah, I, I guess uh, you know, there's something to be said about having kind of a common platform and common uh, set of tools for everything. Um I did not realize the WebEx stuff, uh, the way that they sign those up. That's, it's interesting to go look at the pricing for that as well. <laughs> yes, it is. Especially, especially the, oh, if you want to use a PBX to dial in and not use HD voice. Uh, yeah, that's going to be, you know, anywhere from, you know, 500 dedicated minutes to 12 cents per minute. Ah, so. Yep. Yeah. Uh, not cheap, uh, but it's funny if you look at Skype for business as a standalone product um, and particularly a lot of the things that are in the E5 and you pull up the WebEx uh, product page, uh, they're very similar in the offerings, right? Even down to, uh, you know, here's audit and tracking capabilities and uh, here's the global footprint that we have for being able to make all these things work, right? Uh, WebEx didn't get to the where they were by having a product that doesn't work for a bunch of folks. Well, I mean, they might. Yeah. <laughs> Scary thought. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to think they didn't. <laughs> uh, man. Uh, so moving on just a little bit. Um, so you're in my favorite product inside of the office team uh, seems to have uh, done a little bit of work on groups. Um, the thing that cracks me up is this is the same week, uh, or maybe this is maybe not the same week that the Azure team announced, I think they announced, uh, they were, did they announced the Azure portal stuff. Uh, the new portal going GA. Yeah. 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 That's out there. Yeah. So I, yeah, I remember I saw an update that was like the preview portal is no longer the preview portal. And when I logged into my Azure tenant earlier today in the old interface, it had a message at the top that said, the new portal is here. Come look at it. And I kind of scratched my head and said, no, I'm going to use the portal that I'm used to. And the portal that uh, has the information that I need to get to at the moment. So why would you want to do that? Well, yeah, but uh, I guess so my laugh on all this is the Office 365 groups team. uh, They have a couple different screenshots in their blog article they released um, titled Office 365 Groups now supports e-discovery, litigation hold, dynamic membership, and more. Uh, So they have some information about auditing that is exposed uh, through the group management events um, that shows up in the old Azure management portal. So the screenshots they took use the old portal. I'm sure uh, this information is available in the new portal as well, right? Uh, no, because that's where we go to get all the reports for Azure AD is the old portal. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, this, uh, this is, uh, this is the way things are done, right? Like if you want these reports and you want them, 
uh, through the GUI and things like that. This is uh, where they are. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I always love the little things that are lost in translation along the way with some of those offerings, right? Uh, so that thing talks about all sorts of really cool things like uh, groups dynamic membership. So because Office 365 groups are this quasi construct uh, built off of some Azure AD provisioning and some stuff in Exchange and some stuff in SharePoint and everything else, uh, they can leverage native Azure AD capabilities, right? So the dynamic membership stuff actually has nothing to do with Office 365, and it has nothing to do with uh, SharePoint. It has nothing to do with Exchange. It's purely part of Azure AD Premium. And they kind of always bury that stuff in the blog post. At least they mentioned it in this one. Uh, but you need to have Azure AD Premium to make all that stuff work. So unless you're on uh, like an EMS suite with an upgrade or you've gone ahead and purchased all that fun stuff, uh, you're not going to have access to it. So you'll still get the Office 365 uh, Azure AD Lite experience, you know, where you can do the branding and things like that, but not too much outside of that. So, yeah, I, uh, uh, I'm annoyed by this. But, you know, since, uh, since everybody's used to having exchange distribution groups or distribution lists, uh, Microsoft put some code out there in... Uh, what they call Hummingbird, um, up on GitHub to allow you to transition your email distribution groups into Office 365 groups. Worst idea ever. <laughs> but they released it with a caveat, right? <laughs> like, uh, this code we pro- is provided we pro- as is. <laughs> right. We provide zero pr- support for this. And by the way, it will probably break a bunch of things. Along the way. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, could you imagine an organization that just goes out and does that and transitions all that stuff over and then goes, oh my gosh, all my SharePoint storage is gone. Or, <laughs> uh, you know, what have we done? Look what's in the gal. Uh, it, you know, it's not going to be pretty, right? Like groups, uh, they have the governance controls. Uh, I haven't seen too many places that actually turn those on and put thoughts into uh, prefixes or suffixes for group names, uh, naming conventions, uh, some really simple rules. Uh, they're missing some basic management things. Uh, so there's no way to, uh, automatically get rid of like stale groups today. Right. So if you think about like, uh, uh, I'm sure you've been through an an organization with exchange public folders, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So public folders get spun up and uh, somebody names the public folder archive. And then 15 years later, it's still sitting in an old exchange server because, hey, it finally turned into an archive, but it's actually not valid data, doesn't follow any business rules, anything else. Uh, So they're missing like really nice controls that would make that a lot easier and a lot more palatable. Right. Uh, It's not so scary to turn some of this stuff on if you know you're going to get the space back and it's going to be automatically managed and uh, you know, all that good stuff. I guess I look at it, uh, at least the naming convention piece, you know, the, the ability to have policy around that I see as being super useful, um, primarily because if for instance, I had already gone in and created a distribution group, um, or, you know, prevent me from 
uh, inadvertent, <laughs> trying to create a distribution group. Um, the ability, uh, okay, starting over. Um, so, you know, we look at Office 365 names, right? So very much in the same way that if we create a tenant, we give it a name. Good luck ever trying to change that name down the road um, in the sense of groups because it conflicts with the site collection namespace. If we go in and we try and create a group with the same name as a uh, SharePoint site that already exists or with a distribution group that already exists, it goes and does a lookup on that. But if we have a group naming policy at least, then it automatically would prevent having to worry about that because it would no longer conflict unless you were using the exact same naming policy that Microsoft is using or mm-hmm. set up. So, uh, and, and another good one is uh, please always do the naming policy because it's no fun to have uh, distribution groups or really Office 365 groups with email addresses associated with them uh, named after all your C-level executives and, uh, uh, you know, butterfly, unicorn, puppy dogs and things like that. It's uh, not not great. Uh, so the controls are there. Uh, they've actually surfaced all those controls through the UI now. Uh, so for those that are scared of PowerShell or they didn't want to buy their admin a donut, uh, all that stuff's there and, and ready to go and should definitely be utilized. Like it's got to be part of the plan. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I just... I see so many folks just skipping right past this and they're like, Oh, we're gonna use groups for everything. And they already have, you know, they've already entrenched themselves down the path of uh, using distribution lists. So I'm personally scared to see uh, anyone use hummingbird. Um, I could see it be useful for like small organizations that don't have external people in those distribution lists, but for anybody that does, I wonder how that's going to work. Oh, wait, it probably won't. Yeah, well, yes, <laughs> there is that. But hey, you're in consulting, so job security. Yep, very true. Thank you, Microsoft. Um, yeah. Uh, so if you want to check out the Office 365 Hummingbird uh, code that's out there at GitHub, um, sitting under the Microsoft repository. Cool stuff. Yep. And that's all linked in through that blog post. So people can find that in the show notes at uh, brewery.fm slash zero three, three as in we're getting older. 33 episodes, man. Crazy. (laughs) Mind you, we should be on like 50, but whatever. We'll catch up. Life happened. Um, Speaking of, uh, you know, trying to catch up. Um, you uh, you think you're going to make it to the inaugural Microsoft Data Insights Summit? I don't even know what this is. You put this in here, and it's <laughs> <laughs> like, huh? So it was on the Ignite, office blog. No, um, no, it's not. A, well, see, that's why no one knows what it is. So because that thing is a hot mess. Yeah, essentially, the Data Insights Summit is Microsoft's appeal to uh, be able to provide more and more of this. Uh, this, you know, outreach to non-techie folks. And uh, if you live in the D.C. area, um, you probably hear the term data science left and right. Maybe, maybe not. Um, And so, you know, I think it was, what, uh, a while ago, 
um, Microsoft realized, hey, we need to make our tools more than just for you know techies. We need to start reaching out to these different folks that rely on data but are looking for tools and whatnot. So uh, it's it's interesting to see Microsoft have this uh, data insights summit. Um, you know, more for business analysts and end users, not necessarily for hardcore techies. Um, so I think it's, I think it's interesting that they're doing this. Um, if you kind of read up on it, uh, really what they're going to be going through is, you know, product insights and hands-on training using all the favorites. And this is what cracks me up in the, uh, the marketing is they, they talk about all the favorites with including power BI. Okay. So whenever I talk to somebody and I say, Hey, do you use power BI? They go, huh? So I don't know how that, it's one of the favorites. I could see this is a great uh, forum for Microsoft to really help people get in touch with what Power BI is and making, you know, harnessing the power of the cloud that sits behind Power BI. But personally, I don't know of that one being a quote unquote favorite yet. Microsoft Excel, yes, that is a fan favorite. Dear God, that gets used for everything. Uh, so <clears throat> I don't know. I, I think it would be interesting. It's taking place uh, next March out in Bellevue. Um, who knows? Maybe, maybe this will be a pretty darn cool, uh, way for Microsoft to really start stepping into uh, more, you know, building solutions instead of just building technology platforms that don't get implemented properly. Yeah. Uh, that would be pretty sweet. Uh, it's an interesting space. So, uh, you know, uh, something kind of went off in the back of my head when you say you talk to folks and they don't necessarily always understand or really know what Power BI is. Uh, So again, this is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but E3 or higher, right? It's there. Well, it's actually... The, the, The free version. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so E3 or higher, if you're using office 365, uh, and you are a consumer of Azure, uh, which a lot of organizations are right by default, you're an Azure consumer cause you have your Azure AD. Uh, but really if you use it for other things like you host websites or SQL databases or, uh, IaaS, or you're doing some other PaaS-ish things over there. Uh, so there's a whole ton of audit logs that are surfaced within the uh, Azure portal, or really on the back end. And there's a content pack in Power BI uh, that surfaces all that stuff out for free. Have you seen this? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I use this thing every day, just as a, a nice gut check to uh, go in and see what's going on, uh, see who started things up and shut things down yesterday through like dev environments and, uh, everything else. And it's like one of these nice, uh, single pane of glass experiences for, uh, all your audit data that sits out there. So a quick little pro tip, right? Like go turn that on. If you got an E3, it's free. Why not? Uh, you just authenticate to your Azure subscription and Power BI pulls in your data every day for you automatically. So uh, you mentioned the bit about pricing for Power BI. Um, <clears throat> there is actually a completely free tier. Uh, I don't believe it actually requires an Office 365 subscription at all. 
think it's, it's just uh, out there and you can sign up for it using a Microsoft account, I thought. Oh, uh, maybe. Uh, I've always been using it through the E3, so um, whatever that gives me and lets me get in and do it. So, um, you know, I always notice it pop up in the licensing portal. Like if you go into like your mm -hmm. Office 365 admin portal and you go in down and drill into your licenses, uh, you'll see Power BI just sitting there free because um, it's kind of available for every user within your tenant and kind of like Skype meeting broadcast, right? Just sitting there ready to go. But uh, if you can use that with just a Microsoft account, that's pretty nifty too. So uh, let's see, Power BI, so, get started, enter your work email address. Yeah, so they want- So let me, <laughs> I work to, at Gmail. Yeah, it's going to try and tie to a, <clears throat> so if you go to the sign-in page, if you don't yeah. do the sign-up yeah. stuff, uh, it's looking for a work ID. It's not looking for a Microsoft account. Oh no, that's what I went in. I went in and hit sign up and it's enter your work email address. There is no place for me to put a Microsoft account. Right. So Ooh. there you go. You lied. You lied to me. But, uh, uh, I thought it was like sway. I was led astray. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, hey, at least they turned on some admin controls for that last week too. Yeah, that's true. They did. Um, what else do we want to chat about? I know we're running a little bit long on time already. Um, hmm. So I guess, uh, I'm curious, how's the new gig? Uh, it's fun. It's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, I am about two weeks in and wearing a bunch of hats and, uh, trying to figure things out and integrate with a new organization. Uh, so I, yeah, like I said, wear a couple hats, right? So my role is to help out, uh, and really own a couple uh, components of our technology stack. Uh, and one of the big ones is Office 365. So i uh, got a couple thousand users and uh, fun amounts of data and some pretty nifty things going on on-prem and in the cloud uh, and consuming Azure and Office 365 and a bunch of other tools and things along the way. So uh, I'm there to kind of help tie all that together well, as, as best I can, right? Uh, just from a solution architecture side of things. And uh, hopefully uh, one of the other roles that I get to pick up along the way is um, uh, interestingly titled. So uh, depending on who I talk to on a given day of the week or things like that, uh, it's kind of an end user experience management role. Um, so not so much end user experience with, um, you know, Hey, can people use our website and things like that? But, uh, down to our business users, uh, what's the experience that they have with the tools that we're providing them, right? So, uh, as consumers of a Microsoft stack, uh, what are we using the right way? What are we using the wrong way? Uh, what are we using that aligns best to uh, where we think Microsoft is going? Uh, so we can do a little bit of that. Uh, let's skate to where the puck is, not where it was kind of thing. Uh, and give everybody the tools to really do their jobs in the best way, right? 
Um, so whether that means uh, adopting new platforms early. So, uh, you know, we were talking about like Office 365 groups earlier. So uh, for some of our business units, maybe it makes sense to adopt like Office uh, 2016 early so that folks that live in their email can get access to those things. Uh, you know, and uh, it, yeah, uh, all, all that good stuff. <laughs> cool, man. I'm glad that it's a, uh, you know, a welcome change and I'm sure that uh, you're loving not having to be uh, schlepping back and forth to the DC metro area. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My commute's a lot shorter. Uh, 50, 50 minute drive is something I can uh, absolutely deal with and, and get behind. It's worked out pretty good so far. Awesome. That's, that's yeah. awesome to hear. Um, so a couple other non really tech related stuff uh, to just kind of flow through. Well, maybe it's tech related. Um, Baltimore SharePoint user group was hoping for a shout out. So Shahid or Shadid Elazer, this is your shout out. <laughs> That's all you're going to give him? Well, I mean, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, you, you know, uh, Shadid or. Yeah, Alex. no, I've, I've, I've been up and talked to that group. Yeah. Excellent group. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe I've attended at that group. I don't know. Uh, but, I, but I have been up and, and, and made the hike up there to see him. So, uh, Shadid's a huge proponent of community, whether that's, uh, technical communities or personal communities or, uh, helping folks out in general. And he's also very big on uh, personal growth and branding and very much kind of uh, encourages the people around him to pick up on some of those hints. And, uh, uh, you know, while he's trying to make himself a better person and trying to make everybody else around him better, uh, hopefully, you know, again, everybody around him is picking up on that stuff too. So yep. uh, if anybody's up in the Baltimore area, they should definitely check it out. Highly recommended. Yeah, they've got a the meetup site. They meet over in Hanover, Maryland. Um, I think Eric Harlan uh, and Shahid. Uh, what do I keep calling Shahid? Uh, the two of them started the group uh, back in 2007. Uh, Eric departed the area for some other state that's rather large uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I don't quite remember when that was three or four years ago. Um, Shadid has been working to keep it going. So pretty cool. Um, like you said, uh, great group of folks. Um, <clears throat> their next meeting is on December 17th. So it's about a week away. Um, I don't quite know who's speaking yet. Uh, the day before star Wars. See, they they got good timing. It's dangerous. 6 PM. So that means you can, Go to the user group and then head up to see Star Wars uh, on the Thursday night viewing um, at midnight or 9 p.m. or 7 p.m. or whatever theater is opening early. Uh, so that's, you know, cool plan. Um, the other thing, not so technology related. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so the Reston SharePoint user group. Um, we are uh, looking at uh, switching things up a little bit. It's been hard to get speakers to commit for 2016. Um, I know when you and I kicked it off, we went and got, uh, I think, six months worth of speakers, and we kind of let it flow from there, and we would just go through and find speakers in increments like three months. Um, last year, I actually went in uh, in October, late September, early October, 
and got all 12 speaking slots filled for 2015. Uh, so back in September, I decided, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go do the same thing. I'm going to go find 12 speakers for next year and, you know, get this, uh, rocking and rolling. So I think I've got two. Uh, so, uh, Kurt Greening, I don't know if you know, Kurt, you remember Kurt from Exchility. Yep. Uh, he's, uh, he's graciously offered to help find speakers and kind of, uh, fill your shoes a little bit with you no longer being in the area. Um, so I'm excited to have him on board to help out with, uh, co-hosting some of the meetings. He, uh, he fortunately has been able to fill in for me a couple times in the past few months. Uh, when I've, you know, got work stuff that's just popped up that unfortunately can't really run away from because work does pay, you know, my bills and, uh, user group is just a community fun thing, um, to encourage others and, you know, highlight, uh, stuff that's going on. Um, so he's been able to help and I'm excited to have him on board, but, uh, we're looking for speakers. We're looking to change things up just in the sense of, uh, you know, trying to reach out to a broader, more diverse user group. Um, so, uh, we're probably going to change it to be the Reston SharePoint and office user group, uh, to see if, you know, there's folks that are building office solutions that run on top of SharePoint, office 365 and cloud capabilities like power BI to come in and do some presentations. Um, just because, you know, the market does seem to be moving that way and we figure we might be able to get a broader, uh, group of attendees to show up as well. So. Yeah, no, I mean, that's not a bad way to go about it and do it at all, right? Um, it's been one of those interesting things to uh, have those conversations with uh, yourself and, and other user group organizers. So I know just from attending uh, some of the user groups down here that uh, there's very much this looking forward kind of thing to uh, what other topics can we present in the Microsoft cloud land? So uh, whether that's let's do more Office 365 focus sessions or let's do uh, things that align to the uh, mobile first, cloud first uh, initiatives at Microsoft and things like that, just to uh, branch out a little bit and see what's out there and uh, if there's any place else for folks to go. Yeah, I think... uh... Like you say, you know, hey, we've already done a talk on permissions for uh, Office and for SharePoint and OneDrive for Business. And it seems like every single talk you could think of has come and gone. Um, I know Greg Gallopo uh, spoke this past week on the topic of GIS Link and display templates. And I think uh, one person out in the community was like, oh, somebody else knows about that? That's fantastic. You should teach everybody about that. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of, it's funny to me to see some of these little niche projects that folks bring up and educate the community on, um, folks get excited about just in the sense that, and I don't mean to belittle them by any means. It's just, it it cracks me up because folks don't know about some of these different things. So, uh, it's, you know, branching out to office, um, seems, you know, to be really the thing to do to start really cultivating more, uh, you know, an idea or an ideal for IT pros and developers to really start putting solutions together that integrate the entire stack and not just be, uh, you know, tied to, uh, you know, SharePoint or Exchange or something in particular. Microsoft's really trying to lead the way. 
to getting people in that mindset by doing experiences on top of all of Office 365. Um, why not uh, broaden that out to the community to see what they can kind of do in the same sense? Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's always one of those things. The more, the merrier. True, true. Uh, so what are you going to roost about next? <laughs> uh, did you get your update the other day? I, I have not received an email to say, hey, we need your address, but I did read the update uh, this morning. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for anybody that doesn't know, these are these really cool uh, ergonomic lap, uh, laptop stands that used to only work with uh, Macs, like uh, MacBooks, uh, like Pros and Airs. And now they're coming out with a version that should really work with any laptop. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to this thing finally shipping after having paid for it, you know, whatever, a year ago or whenever we did that. Uh, because right now my laptop at work is sitting on top of a couple of uh, books in a box just to get it a little higher so I can have uh, three to four monitors at any given time. Uh, because, you, you know, why not do that sort of thing? But uh, they've hit their production run and swing. And I believe uh, you and I might be in there early enough to hopefully get ours before Christmas. So, yay, Santa. So, yeah, I mean, I, I paid my $49 plus shipping uh, as a backer. Um, I went through, I did my surveys, I did my rewards and add-ons lock shipping addresses in there even though i can still edit it right now uh i don't i don't know what's left um i know they were cranking them out uh as soon as possible but i guess i'm curious you know will we see these before christmas because i think the last note that i read from them mind you uh similar to the repos that are azure and everything else uh, sometimes I don't pay too much attention to them, but I could have sworn they said initially, yeah, we're going to have these out by fall. So, yeah, uh, stuff takes time. So I think the update before this update or the update before that update, uh, they mentioned that they did have some production issues, right? So this is the downside of Kickstarter, uh, Mm, the stuff's not made, so it's not always guaranteed that it's going to come through. Uh, but I figured, uh, you know, uh, you and I had both bought the first round of this thing and they managed to make it then. So uh, it stood to reason that they'd be able to make it again. So, you know, uh, if it takes a little bit longer and it finally gets here, then yay, it worked out. Yeah, No worries, because I don't have it today. So uh, it's not a big deal. <laughs> true, true. Are you using your, uh, your roost at home? Uh, yeah, I'm using it right now. Mm, cool. Yeah, I, uh, hmm, I guess I am... I'm I wonder interested. if I could take it to work and use it with my uh, carbon. So you might, uh, but I believe at least the original roost was not meant for use quite as much with non-Apple uh, hardware. So that, That's what I was saying. It was made for yeah. MacBooks and MacBook Airs and, and things like that, So, uh, which is the beauty of that next one is it's made for everything. So. Yep. Which I will, I will definitely use it for that. I'll probably use leave the one at home and maybe take the other one around with me. Because uh, uh, what am I rocking these days? Uh, uh, they gave me a one of those X one carbon touches, mm -hmm. uh, little you know ten point touchscreen ultrabook thing uh, at work, which is pretty nice. Um, you know, it gets a whopping hour and a half of battery battery life, which is stellar. You know, who doesn't want a laptop that gets an hour and a half of battery? Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> but other than that, you know, it, it seems to get around and, and do its thing. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that, man. I think uh, I too maybe carry my around just because I find more often than not, uh, you know, craning my neck looking down at a laptop. But of course, the caveat being with the Surface Pro 3, uh, I don't really know if I can do that. Uh, mm, maybe I find a way. Because uh, really, it'll just lay into that stand. So as long as that thing can be thin enough to hold it up, then you'll be okay. You know, your Surface Pro 3, I'm looking, lean down. Uh, you could probably just use your original for that because, you know, you can adjust the uh, the width of the stand and, and make all that stuff work. Hmm. Yeah, I might try that out. Yeah, well, hmm. new, new toy for you to play with. Or really an old toy made new again. Yeah, well, I will, uh, I'll report back on that next week and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Excellent. Cool, man. Uh, you got anything else? I think that's about it. You gonna buy your admin a donut? Uh, <laughs> yes, I will go buy myself a donut. <laughs> <laughs>